Hello, everyone. How's it going? Good? Cool, cool, cool. Um, I'm a little bit thirsty. Worship was so good. I was str- I wanted to sing, but I was like, oh, gosh, I'm going to lose my voice if I sing too loud. Um, but hey, take a sip of water. Sorry? Yeah, amen, amen. Thanks, Bryce. Um, yeah, so as you guys may or may not have, have gathered, um, tonight's topic is um, yeah, going to be talking a little bit about weaknesses and suffering. And I kind of want to talk tonight on how we can suffer well, um, because I think that's a really important part of the Christian life. And I think if you look at scripture, suffering is kind of an underlying thread that goes all the way through Genesis to Revelation, and it's also a foundational point uh, of the gospel itself. So I'm going to be diving into that. I'm going to share a little bit about my own personal experiences. I hadn't planned to, but I feel prompted by the Lord that I should, so I will. Um, So I'm going to be obedient to that, and I'm going to share some things with you. I don't know when I'll do that, but I'm just going to listen to when God says now, and and I'll do that at that point. Um, So before anything, I just would like to pray again. Um, So if you want to bow your heads with me. Father, I thank you that you have given me this opportunity to speak this word to your people. Lord, I thank you that you've placed this on my heart. Lord, I am trusting that in my weaknesses, in my human fallibility, that you are going to speak tonight. You're going to speak to your people. Uh, Lord, the scripture says that a joyful heart is good like a medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. And I don't know how many people in this place have a broken spirit, And by having a broken spirit, have dry bones, Lord. But I just want to speak to that now, Lord. I just say tonight, let those dry bones come to life. Let us all come to life tonight, Lord. Let us be reminded of your glory, of your grace, of who you are. Lord, open our hearts, humble our hearts just to receive this message tonight and to hear from you and to understand the purpose and the providence behind our pain and behind our suffering, and to know that you are not removed from it, Lord. So with that, in your glorious and mighty name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Cool. So, I'm going to dive straight into it. Um, So suffering, personally for me, so if you guys don't really know a little bit about my testimony, I became a Christian after finishing high school. I don't even remember what age I was now exactly. Um, I was having a conversation with someone the other day and I thought I was 19 and I'm like, wait, that can't be right because that doesn't add up. So I was either 16 or 18 or something, 17, something like that. Um, So I've been a Christian for at least five or six years now. And um, the reason I became a Christian was because, and you may know this story, um, because I was massively depressed. So much in fact, and I I managed to keep that uh, in so that not to show that to people, I was massively, massively depressed. Um, so much to the point where I, I, I don't know um, what path I would have gone down. Um, praise God that I was in a time in my life where I kind of came to a crossroads and I chose to follow him at that point. Um, if I hadn't have found God at that point, I'm not sure where I would be today. I'm not sure uh, what my life would look like. Um, praise God, it's one filled with hope and knowledge of who he is. Um, But when I 
eventually became a Christian. Um, I became part of this church that was, oh God, forgive me for saying this. Um, I'm, I'm going to really try and, and be gracious with this as well um, because I'm still working through this experience. Um, and let me just say there's a lot of baggage that goes back with these past church hurts. So I'm going to try and deal with it in the most gracious way. And I hadn't planned to, to talk about this a little bit, but it's all coming out now. So um, might as well roll with it. We'll see where it goes. Um, so I, it, this church, some of the teachings were a little bit more on the prosperity side of things. Um, so it, it wasn't, you know, totally name and claim it type thinking, um, but it was a little bit more of um, if you've got an issue in your life, it's because you don't have enough faith. Um, you don't have enough faith, so that's why you're depressed. Uh, you don't have enough faith. Uh, that's why you have all these sins that you're not able to overcome. Um, you just need to speak it out and speak out um, you know, victory over those situations. And if you do that, you'll, you'll be able to overcome those. And, you know, for the first six months or so that I was kind of in that type of thinking, I was like on fire. Now I put that down to the grace of God uh, in those moments and finding him and getting to know who he is more and more and growing in and out of that. But eventually it came to the point where that kind of ran out where that joy ran out and it got to the point where I was like, okay, so I've got all these sins, I've got all these issues, I've got this depression that's still not going away. And the expectation, because what I was hearing from the pulpit was that should be going away because you should have complete victory in Jesus Christ, complete victory, no problems. It's like a pill. Once you receive the gospel, you take the pill and that's it, that's gone. And I have to preface this as well that, Perhaps this is not exactly what they were preaching. Perhaps this is the way I understood it. Um, and, and I never got it explained to me properly. Um, but that's eventually how it came to the point where this church often you would come up for prayer afterwards and I would go up for prayer week in, week out to try and get whatever spirit was broken off me. And they would pray and they would pray and they would pray and then I would still have the same problems each week. And so it wasn't, I wasn't seeing victory. And that's what they kept talking about. Like, we want to see victory. We want to see victory. But what does that mean? And what does victory actually, actually look like? And so it wasn't until I kind of understood the gospel in its fullness that I then understood what victory actually, actually is. And victory looks like a cross. Victory looks like a criminal's death. So, with that, uh, I'm just going to jump into a scripture for you guys, um, because the Bible talks a lot about suffering. Um, in fact, I think it's probably the topic that's spoken about most often. Um, and there's so many different scriptures I could do, go to, and, and I haven't. I've condensed it down to as, as little as I, I thought was good, because if you guys know me well enough, I'll just go off on a tangent. Um, if I pull too many scriptures out. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pick this particular scripture um, first. And this one is First Peter. Now, Zev, I don't know whether you have that, but no, you don't. Sorry, this is my bad. Uh, but First Peter 4, uh, verses 12 to 14. So if you guys have got your Bible, uh, I don't know how quickly Zeb, Zeb's going to be able to bring it up because um, I didn't tell her beforehand about this one. Um, but it says this. It says, Dear friends... 
Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Now, I don't know about you guys, but that kind of sounds a bit different to what I was told or what I thought I was getting into. Um, Don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes. And this is just one scripture in many, in the full 40 different author written, 66 books it is, um, in the Bible um, that talks about this type of thing. And the Bible doesn't shy away from saying, yes, you are going to suffer. Um, it, it, it states that quite plainly here. Don't be surprised when it happens, but in, rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. Rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. So let's kind of unpack that a little bit more. So I've got some more scriptures for you. And so if you come with me to 2 Corinthians, Zev, you should have this one. Uh, 2 Corinthians 12, uh, verses 7 to 10. Um, And this is the Apostle Paul speaking. Now, if you guys know much or little about Apostle Paul, I don't know how much you guys know, but he wrote the majority of the New Testament. um, And he did not have an easy time in his life. He was thrown into prison. uh, He was tortured. He was shipwrecked multiple times. Um, And yeah, and he was persecuted by both. uh, He originally was a persecutor. Uh, He killed Christians on the... um, before he had a visitation, Jesus appeared to him. Um, And then he went on to essentially become the person we talk about most in church next to Jesus. Uh, Most of the New Testament writings are from Paul and we kind of, you know, speak about him in a a way that sometimes maybe borders on idolatry. But besides the point, he he lived a good life um, and he's an amazing example to us in both what he did and in his suffering and how he dealt with suffering. And he spoke extensively in multiple of his letters about how we should deal with suffering. So if we go to that chapter, so 12 uh, verse 7 to 10. And he says this, sorry, let me get to it. Um, Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. I don't know about you guys, but I've certainly, there's been circumstances in my life where I've had things or I've had thorns. And I've said to God, take it away, take it away, please, please, please take it away. I can think of multiple times, multiple occasions where I've been on the floor of my room, on my hands and feet, crying out to God, literally crying, tears pouring out of my eyes saying, God, take it away. Take it away from me. This is what Jesus says. Now, if you have a red-letter Bible, you'll notice that these words are written in red. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Then the next verse says, well, it's the same verse, 
Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, I don't know if you can notice. So the first thing I want to kind of point out to you guys in that little chunk there, um, Paul's immediate response is, is that he has a thorn in his flesh. And so you notice after that, his response is what probably the most of us would do. Certainly what I have done and what many people in the Bible do is to cry out to God and say, God, take it away. Take it away. But you notice how God's perspective on this is different. Because he says, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Now, I don't know what went on in Paul's mind there, but I imagine there's a little bit more than is actually written here in Scripture. Between the time that the Lord spoke that to Paul and the time that he's actually written this piece of um, this letter to the Corinthians, I reckon Paul had to wrestle with this, this idea of God saying to him, no, I'm not going to take it away because my grace is sufficient for you. Now, Paul's had to wrestle with that, and then you see that eventually he's come to terms with it. And he says, therefore, I will boast in it. Now, that's turning it around, isn't it? What a, what a total difference that is from, from being on the floor crying, Lord, take it away, to, woo, let me suffer. I'll boast in it. Cool, awesome, let's, let's do this. Let everyone see my boasting about my suffering. So my first point tonight is this. Suffering and trials remind us that God's grace is sufficient. It shifts our uh, perceptions and our focus from worldly things that will medicate us in those situations. So I don't know about you guys, but whenever I'm feeling depressed or whenever I'm feeling Whatever it is, I'm struggling with something, a sin or a habit or whatever it is. Naturally, our natural gravitation as human beings is to try and find something that is going to medicate that pain for us. And often, that thing is something that is just going to lead to more destructive behavior, right? But that longing and that search for something that is going to medicate us points to something greater, That longing and that search has been put in us to seek God, not to seek the things that are going to medicate us, right? So that's that's an important thing. But also, there's something else here, which Paul mentions early on. And, And for some of you, especially if you haven't been in church very long, or if you don't know God, this is might be something a little bit confronting or something a little bit difficult to hear. Um, so please bear with me. Um, and it's this, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to say it for the benefit of those who maybe know God a bit more and, and who need to hear this. Um, so if you have questions afterwards, please come and see me or see a leader or something like that. Um, don't, don't stew on this, but notice how it says, um, to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh. I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. The thorn was given. 
to humble Paul. Because if you think about who Paul was, Paul, as, we, as I said before, we talk about him all the time. He was one of the most well-known Christians that there were. Like the knowledge that he had, if you read this passage, the verses preceding what he says here, um, I encourage you to do that on your own, in your own time. I don't have time to do it tonight because I've got a lot to try and that I really want to bring out and share with you guys. But he's talking about someone who has had an amazing experience and encounter and a vision. And we don't know for sure, but he seems to be suggesting that it's himself. Because then he then goes on to say, I know a man who's had this amazing experience and to keep me from becoming conceited, God gave me a thorn. So our suffering also serves another purpose. And it's not just to, to remind us uh, to focus on God, but it's also to humble us as well. It's to humble us, it's to keep us humble. Because the thing is, is that do we really appreciate God when things are going well? I think that's a question that we sometimes all have to ask ourselves. At least I always have to ask myself that. Because when things are going well, I'm not running to God all the time. He's not even in, like, not even in my like, periphery. Like he's just not there. Because if things are going so well, well, I don't need God. I've got everything else that's going on well with my life. But what God really desires from us is complete and utter dependence on Him. And so sometimes the only way to do that is for us to suffer and for us to be brought to the end of ourselves. So in that moment, we are willing to go, okay, Lord, yep, you are Lord. To get on our hands and knees and say, you are the king. You are the king and you know better than I. You are God, I am not. It's also important to remember in that as well that there's kind of a key theme that runs throughout Scripture as well, is that God always works things together for good. And notice how it says it was a messenger of Satan to torment me, despite the fact that it was an evil method. God was able to use that and turn it around for good for his own purpose, to keep Paul from becoming conceited. Because imagine what would happen to the church 2,000 years later if Paul had become conceited. If Paul had gone down his own path, been prideful, said, I know the right way, we wouldn't have half of the New Testament. And let me tell you, we would be in a worse off place. We'd be in a much worse off place. So to that point, let's go to Romans uh, chapter 8. And I love this passage of Scripture. It's so good. Um, And I'm only going to read two little sections of it. Again, go home and read it in your own time because it is brilliant. Um, and this is Paul again, talking about suffering, as he seems to do so often. Um, and so in Romans 8, verse 18, uh, 18 to 19, he says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. And then it says in verse 28, and this is my favorite passage of Scripture, these following verses. It says in uh, verse 28, uh, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. Verse 29, For those He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, 
that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So to that point, God works evil for good. And the best demonstration of that is actually the cross. It's not there anymore. It's down there. Um, But the best demonstration of that is the cross, right? Um, Because if you think about it, Jesus was completely innocent, sinless, lived a perfect human life, which none of us can do. And yet he, he suffered a criminal's death by people who were no less than evil. So if that doesn't tell you that God can use evil to achieve good means, and that wasn't just something a little bit good, that was a whole lot of good for you and I, like a whole lot of good for you and I. What came out of that evil is the best news that anyone will ever hear. But also our sufferings bring us into deeper intimacy with Christ. Now, if you think about Jesus, if you remember in Matthew 26, it is, he was, uh, and and it's also in Luke's gospel as well, um, and probably in Mark, I can't remember. But um, he was, before he was about to be crucified, he knew he was going to be crucified. And he was praying. And he was on his hands and knees and he said, Lord, I pray and I ask you that this cup would be taken from me. The cup being what he's about to experience, the suffering that he's going to go through. I pray that you would take this cup away from me. But then he said these words, Nevertheless, let your will, not my will, be done. Do you see how that's different from what Paul said? Paul says, Lord, take it away. I don't want it. There was no... No moment of him saying, but if you, if you don't will it, Lord, then that's, that's fine. I will find a way and by your strength, I will get through that. So who do we want to be like? We want to be like Jesus. We want to say, Lord, this is going to be excruciating. And I don't know whether I can do it, but nevertheless, let your will, not mine, be done. And we have to remember too, and this is a principle that we can take out of it, not that our suffering is going to save mankind because it's not. Uh, if, if I was preaching that, let, let me tell you, I'm not preaching that. Like Pastor Dex, if you're listening to the podcast, I'm not preaching that. Um, our suffering is not going to save mankind because that was the unique suffering that Christ went through. But you see the good that came out of his suffering, the good that came out of that. And I guess to cut ourselves some slack, We're not God. So we're not God like Jesus was. Jesus knew what was going to happen afterwards. He knew what he was doing full well, what that was going to achieve. We as human beings, unfortunately, do not get to live knowing what our suffering is going to produce and what good is going to come out of it. And that's something that we have to bear. Um, Now, I don't know if you guys know the story of Job. Um, It's an entire book about suffering. Um, and it's, it's, it's very interesting. Uh, it starts off uh, in heaven and there's all these angels around and God's, God's there as well. And then someone steps forward uh, and the Bible, in Hebrew, it's the Satan, which is the accuser. Um, whether or not it was Satan himself or whether or not it was some other accuser, don't know. But um, that's beside the point. I mean, he comes forth and God's saying, have you seen my servant Job, how, how there is none like him in all the earth, how good he is, how he worships me? 
And the accuser says to him, oh, that's because you give him all good stuff. That's because he's blessed. The minute you take those blessings away from him, he's going to curse you to your face. And so God, do you know what God does? If you know the story, God goes, okay, cool. Have at him. Test him. See what's going to happen. I'm telling you, he's not going to curse me. So progressively, as the story goes on, Job loses his farm. He loses his family. uh, He loses his house. He loses basically everything. And, and God, each time Satan comes to him again and Job's not cursing God and Satan asks for permission to do something else and God says, okay, but don't touch his health. And then eventually God relents and lets Satan touch his health. And Job, prior to this point, has still been praising God and then it becomes too much for him. And then he says, curse the day that I was born. And then progressively it goes on, his friends come and let me tell you, they are no help at all. And then Job eventually gets to the point where he cries out to God and he says, what is going on? You need to come and you need to explain yourself to me. That's paraphrasing. That's not actually how the way it is. Um, But then God does. And God takes Job through all of creation and he says, are you the one? created the mountains? Are you the one that created this? Are you the one that created that? And then that's it. That's where the story finishes. Job eventually gets stuff restored to him, but it's important to know that that's not the aim of that book. That's not the message because Job didn't deserve to have anything taken away from him. He also didn't deserve to have things returned to him. But we do know that God in his goodness gave back to Job twofold. He had double of what he had taken away from him. But the main message is in that, in that book is that yes, what we all suffer, but we don't understand the purpose behind our suffering because we are just human beings. We can't fathom what God is doing because God is the one who created the universe. Are you guys the one that created the universe? Am I the one that created the universe? No, I'm not. I wouldn't even have a clue how God manages to sustain the universe because he does. But that's God. It's totally beyond our complete understanding. And that's where the suffering comes into it as well. Why we suffer, we can't say for sure until something good comes out of it. And unfortunately, as human beings, that is our burden to bear. What is Sure, for us, is that God does have a plan and a purpose and a future prepared for us. And that future is displayed to us in Christ. And before I kind of touch on that, I want to give another reason why suffering is good for us. And, and maybe this is the one that you can kind of relate to almost immediately. It's that in our sufferings, uh, we relate to other people and we become a living testimony of the gospel. And this is an important thing because whenever I suffer, it becomes all about me. Like I'm in my little fishbowl of suffering and I'm focused on myself and I'm always looking inwards. My suffering is about me. I never think, oh wait, what's God trying to achieve in and through me in this suffering, what's he trying to show me or to make me understand that actually may save somebody else's soul? 
Like we're not talking about just being able to comfort someone or being able to encourage them in a particular moment. We're talking about the difference between someone's eternity, where they're going to, to, to spend eternity. So it's important that we remember that sometimes um, God uses that as well. Um, and I kind of want to just... All right, before, before I do that, um, let's go to Second Corinthians again. And... Uh, Let's see what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, uh, verse 6 to 18. And this is kind of a whole chunk, um, but it's worth worth reading. Uh, yep, so verse 6. For God, who said, let the light shine out of darkness, made his light in our heart, light shine in our hearts, to give us the light of knowledge of Christ's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power from God is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that this life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us and he's saying this from the perspective of himself and the other apostles, and he's talking to the Corinthians. He's saying, so then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Are you guys willing to endure a little bit of suffering so that life may be at work in somebody else? Now, I'm not saying that you're going to, to suffer death, because you're probably not. Um, and praise God that that we're not going to be in those situations. Some Christians in the world are. But do we have a willingness to, to say, okay, cool, Lord, thank you for this opportunity. Um, I don't know whether you guys know Matt Chandler, but he's one of my favorite preachers. And I think I, I mention him every single time I'm up here. Um, but he's had a massive influence on me. And um, he had a brain tumor. And it was pretty bad. Uh, he had a seizure in front of his young kids um, and that scared them and he hit his head and he bit his tongue as he was doing that so he couldn't talk afterwards. Um, and he had a moment where he thought, wow, thank you, God, for my brain tumor. How crazy is that? Thank you, God, for my brain tumor. Because he said, now I can look the person who has just lost their child, I can look them in the face and say, God is good. God understands our suffering. There's a unique ability when we suffer like that to be able to, I don't know, for me, not be a hypocrite, if that makes sense. Because it's all well and good to be able to say, Jesus is good, Jesus is good, Jesus is good, if your life has been good all the time. 
if you've never known suffering. But how powerful is it to say, well, I'm going to lose my house. I may lose my life. I'm sick, terminally ill. I may lose my life, but Jesus is good. But Jesus is good. How much of a powerful testimony is that? That's where the power is. When the gospel comes alive in our, in our own lives. How powerful is that? So, I've said all this at you, I've spewed it all at you. But uh, let's read what Paul says further on in the scripture. He says, It is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us to himself. That's the hope that we have. That is the hope that we have. The one that raised Christ from the dead is also going to raise us from the dead eventually. That is the hope that we have. All of this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. What did he say? My grace is sufficient for you. If we live a life believing that his grace is actually sufficient for us, and that it is all to his glory, then that actually, that actually works. Grace reaches more people. When we live a life knowing that grace is sufficient for us, then it reaches more people. Because if grace is sufficient for us, grace is sufficient for my neighbor. Grace is sufficient for my friend who's struggling in, in an abusive relationship or is depressed or is suffering with some form of mental illness. Grace is sufficient for all those things. Christ died for it all. Therefore, do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles. Notice how he says light and momentary troubles. That shocks me because what Paul went through, I wouldn't have thought was light. My, my troubles compared to his are light and momentary, but his were not. But that's, that's what he says. He says, these light and momentary troubles are achieving for us eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix, and this is the clincher, pay attention to this verse. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, your sufferings, your pain, your anxieties, your fear, it's all temporary. May not feel like it now, but it is. In the scheme of eternity, your suffering is one tiny speck in comparison to the joy that's going to come for us. And Paul says we can't even fathom that joy. We don't know what that's going to look like. The truth is, is the reason that we have anxieties and fears and pain is because of the broken, sinful nature of, of this world. Now, let me be clear here. I'm not saying that your pain and your suffering is punishment for your sin. That's not what I'm saying. I'm talking about sin, big picture sin, the, the spiritual fallen condition of our world. Because sin affects everyone. Like you may suffer under an abusive relationship because of the sin of another. Or because of the broken nature of human beings. Sometimes we're, we're born with different defects, I guess. There's some people that are, that are physically 
and, and you'll see a video, I'm going to show a video shortly. Um, but I want to share a story with you that I came across, and I'm going way over time, but that's fine. Um, I want to share a story with you this week, and then we'll show the video, and then we'll get the team up to, to pray a bit more, to worship, sorry. Um, I met this lady. Um, if you don't, guys don't know, we're doing a bread run here um, at church. Or it's part of IFC, and, and we've got some teams that are doing it here as part of OC as well. Evelyn kind of conned me into it. Uh, I didn't know what I was getting in for, but um, I'm definitely glad I went. Um, because we, it was in our old Brentwood area, and we went and saw this one particular lady. And I walked in, and this lady was in a wheelchair. And I'm not talking about one of those wheelchairs that you can kind of roll around. I'm talking about one of the big electric ones that, that have a headrest and everything. And um, this lady was by herself. There was nobody else in there. She has carers and things like that, but this lady was by herself. Um, she can't speak well. Um, she can't move well. Her door was left unlocked, um, which I don't know. If I was kind of living in that area, I'd be a little bit timid about leaving my door unlocked. Um, but I thought, oh, okay, cool. So, yeah, I don't, my, my problems are nothing compared to this. Nothing compared to this. Then there was another guy who lives just up here in Alfred Cove. His name's Laurie. Um, you wouldn't know it by looking at him, but he has a, um, a chronic pain issue. And um, this man was so calm, so friendly. John and Anna's are laughing. I think you do guys know Laurie. Yeah. Uh, this man was absolutely amazing. Um, but he obviously needs bread because he's not able to work because of his chronic pain issue. Now, I drive past Laurie's house every single Sunday to get here. And every single Sunday I drive past and I'm thinking about my own things. And now I drive past thinking, that's Laurie's house. And Laurie is suffering in chronic pain and is receiving charity from a church bread, and yet he doesn't complain. He was so thankful to just be receiving bread in that moment. So that's an example of, of how to live suffering. I don't know whether Laurie knows Jesus or not yet. I haven't had a chance to talk to him very much, but I'm hoping to speak with him a bit more in the coming months. So I've thrown all this at you. So what does it look like? to suffer well. So Zev, if we can get that video up. Now, this is a story about a, a little boy called Marky. Um, you'll find out a little bit about him uh, now as we watch this video and then I'll come back and, and speak a bit more. He tells us all the time that it wasn't just at the beginning of his life. He knows that God breathes the breath of life into him every single day. To see what he goes through, man, and, and still say, Praise God, though, Daddy. You know, here I am worrying about a light bill that's due tomorrow. And he's like, God will take care of us, you know. Most women, you know, when they have a child, it's like they imagine their child's whole life. You know, their whole life goes before their eyes. Their, their, their pivotal moments, like graduation from high school, their first girlfriend, their getting married, you know, the, wed the wedding dance. I, I knew I would never have that. Here you've got this little guy with this disease that he's been in pain since the day he took his very first breath. 
and he never complains. I've never heard that kid complain. He was born without the collagen and genetic makeup that connects and binds his skin. And instead of having the seven layers of skin that we would have, he, he only has one, which is why they call it the butterfly skin, because it's as fragile as a butterfly's wing. Um, and so any type of friction, any type of rubbing, anything causes the skin to completely come off. And so my, my middle child, Carlos, the one that passed away in um, 2013, had it. We went and we saw a geneticist. We went and talked to all kinds of people, and they told us that there was like absolutely no chance he would be born with it. They've never had siblings with the disease because it is so extremely rare. And he was born with exactly the same type as Carlos was born with. I believe with Marquis, the way he is, is his testimony. I think God sent him here to show the people what faith looks like. Okay, you're complaining, and, and some of your complaints are legit. They, they're understandable. But look at this. He has every reason in the world to be angry and selfish. You know, when I come home to my son, who hasn't been able to get up for the entire day because his body's just hurt so bad, but he still smile on his face, happy to see me, and never hesitates to thank God for just the smallest little things. Marky heard resurrecting. Um, on YouTube. We were on a car ride on the way back from one of Marky's um, iron infusions and, res and Resurrecting came on. And Marky was like, he was like, oh, mommy, play that again, play that again, play that again. Kind of like flooded his whole thing on music now. Now it's just like elevation worship, you know. There's not a day that goes by in his life since he discovered that song that he does not listen to it. Before he goes into surgery, when they're wheeling him into the operating room, he always wants worship music. What are you listening to? Why do you listen to that before all of your stuff? It's my favorite song. Mm-hmm. He even told the doctors, like, he demanded that they wrap the phone in something to make it sterile so he could play resurrecting while they were, you know, trying to get his pick line in because he wasn't going to let them touch him until he, he had that song. He says he is going to be resurrected, just like the song talks about, you know, that but he's going to be resurrected in, in his perfect body. I've got a good friend. Cool. Thanks, Sev. Um, yeah. So a little bit more about Maki. Um, he kind of the, the age that they give for the disease that he has, that butterfly skin, uh, life expectancy is 14 years. He is currently 18 as of this year, uh, so praise God. Um, but his family know that each day they may wake up in the morning and Marky is not there. His mum cannot sleep at night until she goes to his room and she puts her hand on his chest to feel his breathing just to make sure because what happened with her previous son is that just one morning she woke up and he had passed in his sleep. Marky every morning wakes up his first thought is how much pain he's going to be in when his clothes get changed. 
Because like they said in the video, he only has one layer of skin. So even the simple putting on his T-shirt and taking off the one that he has is going to rip layers of skin off. So his mum has to put bandages on him every single morning. His family has had the police called on them when they've been out in public because people have thought that his parents have abused him. He gets strange looks um, from other kids. They look at him and stare at him and say, what's wrong with you? But the first thing that Marky asks his mum to do in the morning before she even dresses him or gets him out of bed is to pray with him and to put worship music on. Marky suffers in excruciating pain every single day, yet he knows the hope that he has, that one day he will be resurrected with a perfect body. And so he eagerly awaits that day. So if the band can come up, there are so many promises of God in the Bible. And we're just going to sing now about one particular promise. That's the promise of the gospel. A promise that one day we will be resurrected because that is our ultimate hope. But there's so many more promises I could read to you because God is present in the suffering of his people. God is present when we suffer. We kind of know a little bit of what Christ suffered for. And in those moments, we know that God is present. God is a present help for his people always. So if you guys want to stand, I'll just pray for us briefly and then we'll get into the song. Father, I don't know the sufferings of all the people here tonight, Lord. And Lord, I don't want them to feel that their sufferings are being belittled. But Lord, I pray tonight that you would reveal that there is not only a purpose behind the pain and suffering that we go through, but there's providence in that, God. Something amazing can be brought out of that. You can weave a tapestry of broken clay, of broken clay vessels. You can, you can mold that into an amazing jar, an amazing vessel for your goodness and for your glory. God, I pray tonight that you would remind us that you do not neglect us in our times of trouble, but you are always present, Lord. I pray that you would open our hearts, Lord, to take joy in those sufferings because we know that when we suffer, you are close by and there is nothing better than to have you close by, Lord. There is nothing better than to have you right there with us. God, that is our ultimate hope that one day we will be resurrected in a perfect body and that we will spend eternity with you, Jesus. There is nothing better. Lord, let us consider our suffering nothing compared to the glory that you promise us. Guys, I don't know whether you know how diamonds work, um, but diamonds, they test the colour for diamonds by putting them on a blank piece of white paper. 
My question to you now is, are you guys willing to be that blank piece of white paper so the diamond, that the glory that is God can be shown? Are you willing to empty yourselves so that He can be shown in and through you in your sufferings so that you can say His grace is sufficient? Lord, open our hearts now as we sing. Open our hearts as we sing, God. Let us know a deeper revelation of who you are and what you've done.